Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12 through to verse 26. It will be on the screen for you, but do encourage you to have it open, especially when uh, Dani unpacks it for us a little later. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 12, I'm reading from the ESV. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what could the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is, no, there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then I have, have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because of what is done under the sun, was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labours under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of the heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Man, that kind of hit me like a truck when Tony was saying in three weeks' time will be our last Sunday. Um, hey, it's great to uh, have you with us if you're new and if you don't know me. Um, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. Not for long, but still I am today. Um, and it's great to be with you. I'm going to be opening up Ecclesiastes with you. This is our series, Searching, uh, and we're looking at life under the sun according to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're in chapter 2 from verse 12 today. Tony's read it for us. Brenton's prayed. Uh, so let's just get stuck into it. Keep your Bibles open there. We're going to be looking at it quite a bit. Now, now the bulk of Ecclesiastes is from the perspective of a man called the preacher. 
We see in chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem, over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, or you could say under the sun. And we've looked at his findings about life in general in the first week, and then last week we looked at his findings on pleasure. And as you can see in our passage there from verse 12, he now turns to living wisely. Maybe he's thinking, you know, if we, we, we could maybe avoid all the weariness of life with wisdom. Or maybe we can avoid all the frustration of life by avoiding foolishness. And so this morning we're searching uh, wisdom under the sun. And, and you'll remember what Justin said, how that idea of under the sun is, is purely from our perspective as we see with our eyes. And so we're looking at wisdom under the sun from the preacher's perspective. Now let's just clarify what wisdom is, because often we confuse it with knowledge. And it certainly includes knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. If you look there at verse 26, we see wisdom and knowledge mentioned together side by side. And so wisdom and knowledge are different things. Knowledge, here's how someone in our growth group put it this week, Uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is to know not to put in a fruit salad. It'll ruin it, won't it? Or think about it another way. A student that just finished uni is very knowledgeable, but they're not wise yet. They've got to go and apply all that wisdom and learn. Wisdom is applying knowledge in the right way at the right time uh, to experience the most satisfaction uh, and joy. And so what can the preacher teach us about wisdom under the sun? Well, the first thing is that it provides gain. Now, the preacher doesn't really explain this very much, uh, but as Justin was saying, Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature as a whole. And he just kind of makes this summary statement in line with the other wisdom literature that there's more advantage in being wise than there is in being foolish. Have a look at what he says there in verse 13 of our passage, just straight off the bat. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. You see, it's simple. There's more gain in wisdom than in folly, just at its most basic, even in a human way. You see, you'll be better off not doing drugs and getting addicted uh, getting an addiction. If you, if you don't do that, you'll be better off. You'll be better off in life when you study through school and university when you have to, or maybe when your parents encourage you to. You'll be more healthy when you eat less junk. <laughs> you'll function better during the day if you have good sleeping habits. You'll be less stressed when you live more within your means. Uh, you'll, you'll be more respected if you can control your tongue and not just say whatever you want uh, as it comes to mind. You see, just like it's simpler and easier and less painful when you do uh, life at nighttime with the lights on in your house compared to if you were to do it in the dark, fumbling your way through things, so wise living is better than foolish living. It's very simple. And so the preacher says, wise living will benefit you. There's much to be gained from wisdom. But also, he says this. He says, but, 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 wisdom under the sun provides limited gain. 
You see, as good as wisdom under the sun is, it can only do so much. The preacher shares five things that wisdom can't really help us with, and in each case his conclusion is, this also is vanity. In other words, wisdom, the the limited gain that we can have from it, leaves us frustrated in certain areas of life. Very frustrated, in fact, as we'll see in a little bit. But have a look uh, there from the second half of verse 14 with me. He says, so after he said that wisdom provides gain, he says, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. You see, wisdom under the sun cannot gain us lives that continue forever. Ultimately, we die, both the wise and and the foolish. Yes, if you're wise, you know, if you eat well, if you do some exercise and you don't try and do backflips off your kid's bike off the roof, you're probably going to live longer, but eventually you will die. That's the reality. It doesn't matter how wise you are, you will die just like the biggest fool on the planet. And you know what's frustrating about life even more is that sometimes people who live foolish lives outlive people who pursue wise lives. Well, that's what the preacher realizes later, is that wisdom is better than foolishness, but not always because there's this thing called chance. Have a look how he puts it here in chapter 9 from verse 11. Again, he says, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. That's what we would expect. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. And so wisdom under the sun is better than folly, but it can't give you an escape from death. It can't even guarantee you a long life because by chance you might get killed in a car accident because of a foolish decision that someone else made. The second limit to what wisdom can give you is a legacy. Have a look there from verse 16. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. He's not just saying, hey, we all die in the same way. He's saying our legacies die with us. So if you live with wisdom under the sun, you will be known by others. That's, that's true. People will know of your likely success. People will know of the resources that you've built up. And uh, people uh, might even know how relatively easy your life is because you haven't made stupid decisions. But the memory and the legacy of anyone is quickly forgotten. Very soon, all the people that attended your funeral and maybe even those that didn't that know you will also die, and your memory will die with them. Yes, maybe your name will be written down somewhere. When we went to the UK a while back, we went into this chapel in Bath, uh, and there was this huge book, uh, and you could flip through it, of all the people that died through some of the bombings in, in World War Two. And so maybe that would happen to you. But, but the reality is and there's about 0.5%, I don't know, it's just a number I made up, um, of the world that will be remembered. People like Einstein, people like Shakespeare and Beethoven. But let's be honest, 
at least this is true for me, I'm not in those guys' league. I'm not going to be remembered like them. And even if they are remembered, this is what struck me, is that often they are not actually remembered, but their work is remembered. For example, who knows this guy? Jon Utsen. Put up your hand if you know Jon Utsen. Oh, yeah, we got three. Maybe I'm not even saying it right now. About seven. Okay, and put up your hand if you know of the Sydney Opera House. Yeah, that's right. So almost no one knows about Utsen, but everyone knows about his work. That's what happens over time. We remember the stuff that people did, and we don't really remember them if they're really famous. So wisdom cannot gain us a legacy or make people remember us. Now, how are you feeling about living wisely under the sun? It's pretty depressing, isn't it? And have a look at verse 17, how it made the preacher of Ecclesiastes feel. He says, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. He hated his life. Those thoughts of reality in this world uh, grieved the preacher, and he felt everything to do with wise living is frustrating. And the gains that you get are limited, and they quickly disappear as well. And so pursuing wisdom under the sun is like chasing the wind. I don't know if your dog does this, but our dog, if you blow in his face or her face, they just like bite at me and they get all excited. It's like there's something in their mouth that they're trying to get a hold of, but there's nothing at the end. Life toys with us like that as we pursue wisdom. It's chasing after the wind. And it's amazing that these words are even in the Bible. I hated life. I mean, we can tell people who are in dark places, who are struggling, who hate life, that there's someone in the Bible who's experienced life the same way and that God understands. It's good. It's not the end yet, but it's a good start. Um, the third limit to what, what you can gain from wisdom is found in verse 18. Have a look there with me. He says, I hated all my toils. So he doesn't just hate life. He hates all his work. Why? Uh, Because seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of everything which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. The preacher turns to work now, which I think is pretty wise in and of itself, because we spend so much of our lives working. And the frustrating truth that he finds is that working wisely doesn't guarantee that the next generation will continue that same work wisely. You know, you can take a huge risk uh, and you start a business, you can do it with great wisdom and it's it's a big success. It's just things are just going well. You, You are the man in this particular business in this area. And then all of a sudden your spice, I mean not your spice, your spouse might get terminal cancer. And for you to do the wise and right thing is to sell your business so that you can look after them. And the next guy that buys your, build, your, your business might run it into the ground within a couple of years because of foolish decisions. Or maybe the, the next owner could be your child as you try and pass on a family business, which would probably hurt even more. Or the next person might be that person that you hand over a project at work that you started working on, or you were leading a department and you did so well that they try and give it to someone else so you can go and fix another department. And so through foolish decisions, uh, they can ruin your wise work. 
So it's frustrating. But you could say, well, what if the next person is actually wise who takes over my work? Well, that'll make you feel better, won't it? (laughs) Then they're not going to ruin it. But have a look there from verse 20, because I think the answer is, no, it won't make you happy. Look what he says. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. You see, sometimes the person who takes over your work doesn't ruin it through foolish decisions, but they just simply enjoy it. (laughs) And this frustrates the preacher. He's worked very hard. He's toiled. He's struggled. He's tried to grow in his knowledge and his wisdom and applying it so that he can have work as hassle-free and as enjoyable as possible. And now he doesn't even get to enjoy it. Someone else does. He had to put all this effort in and he he feels like he's earned the right to enjoy things as he set them up. Uh, But then comes along some other guy who hasn't even broken a sweat, and he gets to enjoy all of the systems, all of the resources, and all of the results of another person's work. And the preacher says, that's not fair. Why? You can only enjoy wise working when you've put in the hard yards, he says. You shouldn't be able to piggyback on someone else's wise work. And so he's frustrated and he feels like he's been wronged. And that's the fourth gain that wisdom can't give you. And that's the fact that you can't always enjoy your own work. Sometimes someone else enjoys it in your place. And sometimes um, you are taken away, so you can't even do that. So where does this leave the preacher? Well, look there from verse 22. He says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. And his work is a vexation. There's that word that Brenton loves. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. The question he asks just seems to come from someone that's exhausted and has reached the end of their limit. And this is what wise living under the sun. Is this what wise living under the sun gets me? Is what he is asking. What's the point? Well, you know, someone might say, at least you can go home. Now go and relax, put your feet up, just watch some TV and chill. And the preacher says, no, that doesn't happen. During the day, I work hard and it's painful and I try and do things wisely. And at night when I go and I rest physically, my heart is buzzing because I'm trying to live a wise life. I'm I'm thinking, did I encourage that worker that did such a good thing the way I, I ought to have? Or... um." You know, should I increase that person's pay? I don't know, maybe I'm not. What if they leave? Or you're thinking that quote that I gave to that person, was that too high? Was I being too greedy? Or maybe you're thinking, did I invest that money correctly? What if I lose it all? Or maybe you're thinking, what about that child that's struggling in my class at school? How can I wisely go about helping them and guiding them for their good? You see, the fifth and the last gain wisdom under the sun can't give you is rest from your work. Even when you go home, your heart is not restful. All right, so it's been fun. Wisdom under the sun, it provides gain, 
but it provides limited gain. And so then, this is the conclusion of the preacher. He says, so enjoy everything while you can. That's the conclusion of the preacher after considering wisdom under the sun. And we see it there in verse 24. Have a look there. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? You see, when you enjoy a meal or a drink or you know, working on something or ticking something off your to-do list, take some time to enjoy it. Don't move on too quickly, says Ecclesiastes. Simply soak up the joy that comes from it, even if it only lasts two seconds, because it'll be quickly gone or you will be gone, or someone else will enjoy it in your place. Enjoy everything while you can. That's the conclusion. And he says, it's a gift from God. Just like as we saw in, in, um, in the first week, that uh, life as we know it, this frustrating, fleetile, uh, I mean, fleeting and futile life that we've got that just seems so toilsome under the sun, That life has been given to us by God for a reason. So the fact that we can have little moments, just little moments of joy here and there, is a gift from him that we should enjoy. And he finishes off in verse 26 with God as the ultimate giver of wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And he gives it to whoever he pleases. And to others, God gives the business of just gathering and collecting, and then he will take it from them and give it to whoever he wants. And so this guy is saying, What's the point in chasing wisdom? Because if it's not part of God's plan that I am wise, I will never get there. And maybe I'll work so hard, but it just ends up in someone else's lap. (laughs) So in the end, the preacher says, don't pursue wisdom under the sun. It's not the ultimate meaning of life. He says, don't be a total fool either, you know, and waste your life. Um. Yeah, and let me show you how he puts it later on in Ecclesiastes 7. In my vain life, you know, that's what life ends up becoming, if you take God out of the picture. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. You see, chance happens. Uh, Wisdom can't guarantee you a, a life forever. Be not overly righteous, he says, and do not make yourself too wise. Why would you destroy yourself? doing that. He says, don't pursue it so much that it crushes you. But then look what he also says, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time doing the backflips on your kid's bike off the roof? Don't do that. It's going to end badly. It is good that you should take hold of one, take hold of wisdom, and also from withhold the other one, not your hand. So don't be too foolish, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. What he says is if you pursue wisdom with all of your heart, you will destroy yourself. And if you just live a stupid life, if you like, if you live an absolutely foolish life, you will be destroyed. But did you notice there's a third way that involves fearing God that means you escape being destroyed and destroying yourself. And I want to show you this way. And I've, I've titled it this, Wisdom Under the Sun. But notice, it's not the S-U-N, it's the S-O-N. You see, many years after the book of Ecclesiastes was written, the God who alone gives wisdom and knowledge and joy sent His wisdom in the person 
of his son Jesus. Have a look here at John 8, verse 23, how he puts it. This is what Jesus says. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. You see, what we long for, I think, as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think this is what the preacher of Ecclesiastes longs for too, is wisdom from above the sun. Wisdom under the sun is frustrating, and so what we want is wisdom from heaven. Beyond the sun, beyond what we can see and touch and know just with our eyes. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am the one sent from above. Jesus is God's wisdom from above. And one of the main teachings of Jesus is that death is not the end. You see, wisdom under the the S-U-N says that death is is the end. And wisdom under the S-U-N cannot give us life forever. But wisdom under the sun, the S-O-N, can give us life forever. And he says there is another reality. Have a look at Matthew 12, verse 42. So the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You see, if the preacher of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, which most people expect, and if people came from the ends of the earth to hear of his wisdom, how much more should we come to Jesus, uh, the one who is God's wisdom, the one who is the ultimate preacher who shares God's wisdom with us? But also, what I want you to see from this little passage is that death is not the end. There is a judgment. Notice this reality that Jesus all of a sudden talks about. He says there's a judgment coming. And the queen of the south, or the queen of Sheba, uh, she has already died. And actually at that day, she's going to rise and she's going to condemn the people that Jesus is talking to who is alive right now. And so this is one of Jesus' main teachings as the ultimate preacher. He's saying... There is another reality. That's what wisdom under the S-O-N looks like. It's to know that there is another reality beyond what we can see with our eyes. A spiritual reality that we cannot know about unless someone who's been there can come and tell us about it. And Jesus is the one who tells us about that reality and he shares with us how to live in light of God's wisdom. And when, when new realities are made known to us, we have to readjust what wise living looks like, don't we? If a new reality comes uh, to us in, in knowledge. Let me give you an example. It's a bit like, um, I've heard this from a few people, I haven't experienced this, but it's a bit like an 18-year-old who's just finished school, he's still living with his parents, and uh, he lands a part-time job, maybe a full-time job, who knows if he's at uni or whatever, And um, in light of this, his parent says to him, hey, we think it's time that you start paying board. Let's say 100 bucks a week. Oh, man. And the 18-year-old, he thinks it's absurd. He can live a way better life if he goes somewhere else. And so he says that to his parents. And so then he jumps on his computer and he tries to find a place. He finds a rental. It's about $400 a week. Um, and then he, he says, oh, well, I can find a room maybe with a, with a bunch of other guys for $150 a week. Then they realize, oh, actually, I'll have to buy my own groceries as well. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, then he realizes, or she realizes, that they will have to start cleaning the house. Then they realize that they will have to start cooking their own food. Oh, and then there's also this thing called uh, water bills and gas bills and electricity bills. And all of a sudden, they understand a reality that they never understood, which is to live not with mommy and daddy. And in light of, of this new reality that they've come to know, the wise thing is to say, mom and dad, I'll happily pay the hundred bucks. I'll stay with you. I've heard that so many times. Hundred dollars a week, ha, it's nothing. Wisdom under the S-O-N is to know of a new reality, a reality beyond death, a heavenly reality, a reality of the kingdom of God. Wisdom under the S-O-N is to readjust your life in light of this new reality. Remember, wisdom always has this kind of future-orientated flavor to it. The only reason why you try and mow the lawn wisely is that so you can have more joy in an hour's time or so that you can watch the footy a bit later. Wisdom always thinks about the future. And so if our futures go beyond the grave... We need to rethink what wise living on this planet looks like. Because true wisdom is to live in light of ultimate reality. And Jesus reveals ultimate reality to us. So wisdom under the S-O-N means we know of another reality. But also it means that we trust Jesus for life after death. You know, it's one thing hearing of God's wisdom uh, from Jesus as he tells us that death is not the end. It's a whole nother thing altogether to trust him to give you life beyond the grave. Wisdom under the S-O-N is to trust Jesus for eternal life. Jesus is not simply wisdom from God, that's true, but Jesus also needs to become wisdom from God to us as you personally Put your trust in him. Look how it's put in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him you are in Christ, so because of God's work we are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Did you see that? Because of God's work in opening up people's eyes to a new and unseen reality, and then, then trusting in Jesus to take them there to have life forever, because of that, Jesus became wisdom to them. And so, that is what we have to do. You have to take the wisdom of God in Jesus, and it needs to become wisdom of God to you. What does that look like? Through Jesus' death on the cross, you need to say that he paid the penalty for your unrighteousness, and that you will receive his righteousness so that you might be pure and perfect. Because we know that it's only the pure in heart and the pure that inherit the kingdom of God. And in God's wisdom, and his manifold wisdom, he has chosen to give us the purity we need to inherit his kingdom through the atoning death of his son. That's the idea of righteousness that Jesus becomes for us. But true wisdom is also knowing that we're not perfect yet. And we need to be perfected for our future forever life. That's what sanctification is. In God's wisdom, he doesn't simply make us a, a, a wise and perfect person as soon as we trust in Jesus. 
No, he makes us perfect in the image and likeness of Jesus. And it's a lifelong process. That is his wisdom. And that happens as we trust in Jesus, we are sanctified. And lastly, this reality that we live in, I don't know if you've noticed this. I certainly noticed again when I went to Carousel the other day. As we live life on this earth, it enslaves us. We, we start thinking like the world. We, we only look for physical things, shiny things, pretty things. We, we live wise lives according to the world. And we often believe the lies of the world that, that kind of disagree with the reality that we hear from Jesus. And because of this, people become captives to our world and they become in bondage to sin. But in Jesus' death and resurrection, he breaks the power of the world over us. And in God's wisdom, he has redeemed us from the world and we continue to be set free from its claws. That's the idea of redemption there. So to wrap it up, this uh, second point, if you like, under here, wisdom under the S-O-N, under Jesus, is to trust him for life after death by letting him become wisdom from God for you and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you you remember how the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he just lamented how his wise living will not be remembered. It kind of just drove him nuts. But if you live wisely according to God, and your wi- then your wise living will be remembered forever. Because you will be living forever. Your name will not just be written in a book where, where, where people's deaths are recorded, like the one I saw in Bath. No, your name will be written in Jesus' book of life forever. It's so good. The last thing under wisdom under the SON is this. Serve others for eternal rewards and joy. You see, when we live wisely under Jesus the Son, the world will think we're foolish. They will. They will think we're foolish. It, it, uh, it, it, it's, I mean, they thought that Jesus was foolish, and so they will think we are foolish as we listen to him. And one of the most foolish things that Jesus said, according to our world, is that true greatness is to be found in serving others and sacrificing your whole life for their good. Have a look how Jesus put it in Mark chapter 10. He says to his disciples, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. This goes so strongly against the wisdom of our world, but it's true wisdom. Just last week, we saw how self-centered, the, the self-centered pursuit of pleasure in this world uh, leaves us empty. And part of it is because all you do is you serve yourself, you serve yourself, you serve yourself. If you want to have deep and everlasting joy, serve others. Make that your life's great work. And then your, all of your great work will not diminish at death. Um, this is what Jesus did. Now, do do you remember the preacher, how he was so ticked off? I mean, he was ticked off at a lot of things. But he was ticked off because he couldn't enjoy his work forever. When when we live wisely under Jesus, that is no longer a problem for us. Let that sink in for you. 
When you live wisely under Jesus, that is not a a problem for us anymore. Let me show you why. Imagine you toil and you struggle. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. Imagine you toil and you struggle and work to make people followers of Jesus. Where will they be for eternity? They'll be in heaven with you. And so you can enjoy them forever. Or imagine if you sacrifice and you serve Christians, people who already believe, by discipling them and helping them. You know, in their low moments, you go and you spend time with them and you point them to Jesus again. You help them to persevere through the difficulties of life that they might know and and trust Jesus and love him. Where will they be for eternity? They will be standing with you around the throne of Jesus one day. And you will rejoice together with them in how God has used your efforts. And you might say this, you might say, Hey, Tani, well, you, you just assume that if I do all this work with not yet Christians, they're going to become Christians. But what if they don't? What if I'm in a secular job and I don't get to do ministry maybe the way you do? How's that going to work? Well, the reality is as you serve others, God will grow you in your character and your Christ-likeness. And know his power and his love for you. And you will be praised one day for that. And and you know that's that line that Jesus says that when he returns, if you're a good and faithful servant, you will enter the joy of your master. So any work done in wisdom under the S-O-N is not a waste. With Jesus, everything will lead to eternal joy and rewards. It's so good. Look how, how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1. This is a bit of a verse we love, isn't it? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Him is Jesus, by the way. With all wisdom, because we've received this wisdom from God. Why do we do that? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then look what Paul says. He says, for this I toil, and I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. You see, there is a toil that is worth doing. A toil where its rewards will last forever. A toil where you will be given strength and power through God yourself. And you won't crush yourself. A toil that has eternal rewards and joy as we serve others with the good news of Jesus. That's true wisdom. That's true wisdom. True wisdom is serving kids ministry on a Sunday morning here. True wisdom is sacrificing your Friday nights to come serve the teenagers of our church and of our community. True wisdom is our musicians coming here midweek or maybe it's at home, practicing and practicing so they might serve us well here on a Sunday morning. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. He is the wisdom of God and he lived that out. The question is, are you? I think this is the question that we left with in the end. Wisdom under the sun, the S-U-N, or are you going to live wisely under the S-O-N? And another way you can put this question is, am I wise or am I a fool? And I'm not talking about worldly wisdom or folly because the reality is that life as we know it will end one day. So to put all your eggs in the basket of this world is foolishness already. But there's a reality that will not end. The reality of God's kingdom under Jesus. And so you've got to ask, am I wise or a fool in light of God's wisdom that's been revealed to me today?
And I want you to just sit with that question for a bit while I prepare the communion table, and then I'll show you how the two connect. Am I wise or am I a fool in the light of God's wisdom that's been revealed today?